Amen. So uh, Exodus chapter 19, the hope uh, is to get through 19 and 20 uh, tonight. So let's see how on track I can keep myself here. But uh, uh, these two really do go together. So uh, I hope to get through them both together. But if not, guess what? We'll stop and pick up next week. So we won't, uh, it won't be the end of everything. So uh, chapter 19 of Exodus verse 1 says, In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed Rephidim, uh, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So they're three months into their journey. Now uh, we know in hindsight where we can read back, this is the beginning of 40 years. Uh, for them being in the wilderness. They're unaware of that. They're just going through each day following the Lord, following the pillar of fire, pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke and whining at Moses. And Moses is, you know, going to the Lord and they're being provided for and miraculously bread's coming down from heaven, manna, and uh, they've been provided quail and, and rock, uh, a rock providing water. You know, think of all these things, the miraculous provision that they've they've uh, gone through. And now uh, we see here that they're three months uh, into their journey and uh, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and, and were camped there. So uh, they uh, are camped before the mountain that's uh, Mount Sinai. And um, something that they're never going to forget is is going to uh, to happen. Here they're going to uh, see uh, this thick cloud uh, and and the smoke and hearing God's voice and thunder and, and lightning that's coming up the earth shaking uh, one of those things and then to hear God speaking to them the Ten Commandments this isn't something that happens every day that we're just going to forget about right uh, I was having a conversation with somebody at work and older gentleman he's already retired and he's kind of come back for some part-time stuff and he's just kind of rattling off some stories he's like you got any stories I'm like man my brain is so mush all the time I can't just recall a funny story or or anything so I just I just didn't have anything to share it, that wouldn't happen I mean this would be the most uh, powerful think of all the things that they had already seen but that's overshadowed by what they experience here because when they know when they would uh, see what was happening to Egypt uh, they they were excluded from the judgments that were falling on Egypt. So they weren't experiencing those things, those punishments that, that Egypt was experiencing. They were excluded from those things. So uh, no doubt uh, in awe of what happened, but this is going to be something they'd remember for the rest of their lives. So being encamped by Mount Sinai, they're going to be there for the next 11 months. And uh, they'll be there as we study through up to Numbers chapter 10. So they'll be in this same area. So uh, there's more than there are more than 57 chapters in the Bible devoted to what happened at Sinai. So this is we're going to be studying through quite a bit of things here as we progress through. Now uh, remember when the Lord spoke to Moses at the burning bush, He made a promise to Moses, Exodus chapter 3 verse 12. Uh, so he said, the Lord said, I will certainly be with you and uh, this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. You know, promise fulfilled. God told them all the way back in uh, you know, months before this, this is where they were going to end up. And now, now they're here uh, at Mount Sinai. Verse 3, and Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So uh, the Lord has Moses uh, go up to him and, and to speak to him. And uh, and he he has these words for him. And, and uh, the Lord tells him, you know, you shall say to the house of Jacob, to the children of Israel, you've seen what I've done uh, uh, to Egypt uh, and what, what he what he did. 
which were mighty things that we, we just brought up, the plagues that, that were poured out upon them, the last one being uh, the, the death of the firstborn, and then they're led out of Egypt. And as they're led out of Egypt, they're, they're uh, walking, uh, and as they're walking, they come to the Red Sea, and then they realize, we know this, right? They realize that Egypt's coming behind them, and they got to see the pillar of, of fire and smoke getting repositioned. Uh, and so that, that, that uh, Egypt was in total darkness, and Israel's in light. And then God parting the Red Sea, and them walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. And uh, when they get to the other side, they witness God uh, conquering the Egyptian army uh, just by, <coughs> excuse me, um, by crashing down uh, the, the, the walls of the water that were standing there and taking out the whole Egyptian army, so much so that they could see people floating. They were dead. They were gone. That God did all those things for them. That, that God had provided for them miraculously, as we already spoke about, with the food and the water, uh, the provisions there. But the Lord is saying, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. And he says, how I bore you on wings like eagles, that God provided that careful protection. Now, at the end of Moses' life uh, in, in his song, in Deuteronomy 32, we're going to look at, at, at verses 10 through 12 here. Uh, Moses says, uh, he's singing in the song, uh, speaking of the Lord. He says, he found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. So uh, Moses got to experience God uh, caring for him like an eagle would. Uh, and then what he's, uh, what the Lord has, has put in Moses' mouth uh, for him to share with them is that he bore the children of Israel on eagles' wings and brought you uh, to myself, he says, that I would bear you uh, and I brought you to myself. That protection of the eagles' wings that the, the mother uh, would provide. So it's, it's quite, a, uh, quite a statement here that the Lord uh, is, is making to them is, you saw all these things and you saw that I protected you and I brought you through uh, all these things. And he says, I brought you to myself. It's God who does the bringing and the drawing, right? Uh, consider what, what uh, Jesus said in, in John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to the Father uh, who sent, uh, unless, uh, come, I'm uh, sorry, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, that God does the drawing, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives and draws us to him. Uh, and, and God was doing that in mass, when you think of you know these two million people that God covered them and and delivered them and, and protected them and that He drew them to Himself, it says now therefore, you know, since those things happened now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, so there's a conditional promise that's being uh, presented here. God saved Israel from Egypt not so that they could live in freedom apart from him and go seek themselves and ruin their lives with sin, but that they could live with him. Uh, they were they were living in bondage, and, and God's desire is for us not to live in bondage and uh, and to deliver, to, to deliver us. So for them, they were physically in bondage, but when we understand Israel's time in Egypt and what Egypt symbolizes, and when we can look at this uh, as uh, Christians that, that have the whole Bible, we can look at we can see the picture of sin uh, that, that we were enslaved and that the Lord was mighty to us and uh, to deliver us and to bring us also. So the, the conditional promises, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you know, as God has promised, he brought Israel out of Egypt and God desires for to have a relationship with us. You know, if, if you look at what, what it says here uh, in, in verse 7, um, uh, let me see, I just have to find it, sorry. Uh, that, that, uh, and, and if you look down in verse 7, it says, so Moses, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse, uh, it was uh, 7 of, uh, I think I just put the wrong number in here, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, but just the point still remains. Uh, here that, that God desires to have 
uh, a relationship with us. He that he that he, when we consider everything that he went through uh, to show himself strong, to judge Egypt, and to show Israel how strong he is on their behalf, and then when God personalizes it. And he says, yes, I brought you out, and, and I want to have this relationship with me, with you. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment here. Uh, it's God that redeems. It's not our own strength. There was nothing that Israel had to do other than believe and walk with him, right? They just had to listen to what they were told and walk forward. And uh, that's a, a powerful thing for us to consider as we uh, walk in our own lives. And, and uh, we consider, I, you know, when, when you think of redemption, I, I'm always reminded of a redemption center, right? Uh, here in Maine, not in every state. I was, uh, as a kid, I didn't, and it, it didn't make sense to me. I'm seeing all these states on the top of the, the can or, uh, you know, around the bottle that says that, you know, this, this bottle's worth five cents. I remember seeing one, one of them's 10 cents. And I'm like, man, I wish I lived there, you know, as a kid, because I'd get double what I'm getting now, right? But that bottle in and of itself is worth nothing. It has to be redeemed. You have to take it in there. And once it's been redeemed, then it's worth something. Uh, you know, you consider us, you know, and our sinfulness, uh, just helpless. And uh, with, without the Lord, we're, you know, we can be uh, considered to, uh, to be without the worth that we would be uh, once we're redeemed. You know, and that what, what God sees in us. You know, that, that God wants to redeem us and he wants to use us and he has a good plan for us. And when we've experienced that redemption of the Lord, then we're experiencing his presence in our lives. And uh, just it's, it's a great way to consider what God has done for them. And he wants to call us his own. If you will indeed keep my covenant, my voice, uh, he says, um, then you will be a special treasure to me above all the people. Uh, that that special treasure, that special relationship that God wants uh, to have. Now, remember in Exodus chapter six, verses six and seven, it says, "Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out of out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God." Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the Lord told uh, told Moses in uh, Exodus 3 what he was going to do. And in Exodus 6, he used Moses to tell the people, saying, you know, that, that he wants a relationship with them. Here's another one here in verse 7 where it says, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. That God desires that personal relationship that this world doesn't understand, that the lost doesn't understand. Many in this culture, does, uh, even in our country, don't know who God is. They don't know his word. They don't understand who he is. They just say, oh, yeah, he's this, this thing that everybody generated to create uh, control, to get everybody to fall in line. And it, it's not it at all. It's, it's self, uh, I mean, because, because anybody that's, that's teaching that, you'd have to be making yourself those people's gods. To teach that, and that's not the case at all. We're told to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up, right? To to make ourselves nothing, and God will lift us up because He's the only one that is anything. So, so when you consider uh, any type of argument that that God was just created so that you know, or uh, Will would share with us, he'd say, um, and I can't remember who quoted it: "Religion is the opiate of the masses, and uh, just the it's just there to make everybody just drool." You know, it's going to it's going to it's going to pacify and tranquilize everybody. And everybody's just going to get to a point where, you know, they, they can uh, they can just accept and and move forward kind of mindlessly. And uh, that's that's not the case at all. God desires so much so that he would send his only son to die in our place that we might be able to be redeemed and have a relationship with him. A special treasure treasure above all people. Uh, speaking of Israel. You know, the earth is mine. You know, it's God's and he can do as with the world as he pleases. Uh, this isn't Mother Earth. It's not like the, the I mean, I know people will say Mother Earth and they may not be speaking, um, you know, from deep spiritual trying to uh, new age you into whatever. I think oftentimes it's just kind of kind of it's so common that people will just say it. But but God is in control. God God is the one in control. 
So uh, you know, Mother Earth didn't give birth to us. God breathed the breath of life into our lungs after forming us into our into our mothers in our mothers' wombs. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, to be uh, sacred is to be set apart. A, a, a whole nation acting as mediators of God's grace to a lost and broken world. You know that that they would be uh, a kingdom of priests. What did a priest do? The, you know, the priest was was uh, the priesthood was established uh, to intercede between God and man. They were to serve on behalf of man uh, and bring uh, sacrifices and, and uh, uh, offerings to the Lord. And we understand that, that Christ is our high priest, that there's no further need for a priesthood for anybody to make intercession for us. We've discussed this many times, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. We don't need the priesthood, right? Uh, we don't need anybody to mediate uh, for us. But but this is God calling them to be special, to represent his name uh, to uh, to the, the lost world, you know, to be different from everyone else. God calls us to holiness. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Peter is writing to the dispersed church. That's what who he's writing to. So that that we are God's special. Not not that God is completely done with Israel. That's not the case at all. We have not re, the church hasn't replaced Israel, but we are also called to the same representation of God. That we would be people that would share uh, who God is and point people to Him. That where it says here that you may proclaim the praises of Him. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? How could we not, right? Like, what's the change that's happened in you? Oh, you know, it's just, you know, I really just came to the decision that something needed to change. No, God pulled me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light. That should be our, and it might, you're going to get some weird looks. <laughs> when you use the name of Jesus, people start getting a little, God is usually, if you just use the general term God, people don't get as uh, easily um, prickly. Uh, it's the other word, the only word I can think of. But they get a little, they get a little uh, upset and a little bit uh, un uncomfortable. That's another word I'm looking for. But it's Jesus that we should be sharing. <clears throat> so Moses, verse seven, came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do." So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> right? So, I, I mean, the, what they're saying here is, yes, this sounds good. We'll do, you know, we'll, we'll go along with this. Um, they're just like us. <laughs> I promise. I would never. We make these big vows and how quick we are to, fa to fall. So the elders are called and addressed, and, and it starts off good. It sounds good when you read that. It's like, hey, that all sounds good. We'll give it a stamp of approval. Um, you know, we're, we're going to uh, uh, go in here, and we're going to do what, what God calls us to do. And um, they're saying, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll act as priests, and, and we'll be mediators. And, you know, the people respond in obedience and, and say that they're going to agree. But uh, we know uh, how fickle their faith was and sometimes how fickle ours is. Uh, hopefully it isn't a habitual pattern for us that we're constantly acting like Israel. But if we understand we have the same sin nature in us and that Israel, when we look back, we can see ourselves in them. We see the strengths, the things that they had as they were walking with the Lord and they were uh, you know, not looking to the right or to the left and their eyes were solely focused on the Lord. The blessings that they, they, uh, they had in their lives, but when they would wander off to the left or right, the corrections that would, that would happen uh, in their lives. So there were a lot of things there that, uh, that Israel went through because they didn't obey. And it's the same for us. We can, yes, be forgiven of our sins, but sometimes the consequence to our sin still remains, and we, we have to still face those things. Uh, we have our, our brother here that, um, Corey Stevens, I pray for him every day. I have my alarm set for 740 every morning. And I'll be at work, and, I, and now, you know, whenever that alarm goes off, I know, oh, going to pray for the Stevens family right now. Corey, when he was here on Wave Escape uh, night, uh, giving his testimony, 
shared that he had been involved in drugs and that he, when he got caught, uh, he had to go spend time in prison for what he did. And, and he was quick to make sure that we all understood that he knows that he deserved so much worse in the eyes of this world. And he knows in the eyes of God that he, he deserves so much worse. Does he want to be away from his family? Absolutely not. You know, his family's back here and Machias Christian Fellowship is ministering to him and uh, they're uh, they're taking care of the family. This church has supported uh, them and in, in their family. Uh, and uh, but but he's he's in federal prison right now. And uh, for what he did, is he forgiven for what he did in God's eyes? Absolutely. But there was still the consequence for his uh, his sin that he understood. So. Uh, when we do things, and I, I'm not, uh, if he hadn't shared that publicly, I wouldn't be here, you know, airing, like airing somebody else's laundry, but he shared that publicly as part of his testimony. And and last I heard, uh, even uh, uh, just uh, uh, Aaron uh, Dudley and uh, Paul Travarello uh, were able to go visit him uh, when we left, left the pastor's conference. They were all excited, like, hey, we're going to be driving right by and we're going to stop in and see him, you know. And to hear that he's doing not only doing well, that but God is building him and God's using him, and that he has removed himself from the stupidity, and that he's found himself in a group of people that don't want to be taking part in the things that the the bad things that are going on in prison. He wants to uh, just trust God and 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 grow while he's there, and to be a minister while he's there. Uh, so uh, as we consider uh, what's happening here, you know, when when they say all that the Lord has done, uh, has spoken, we will do. Uh, we understand that sometimes we make uh, you, you know, the, the saying that will write checks that are uh, that we can't cash. You know, that, you know, we're going to bounce a check because we're we're, we're making uh, some sort of it, it, you can put in any any type of uh, analogy in there if you want. But. What they were saying is that, yes, they, they agree with us. This seems reasonable. Uh, we will do it. They don't understand that in their own strength, when the when everything is laid out in front of them, they don't have the strength to do it. Uh, so uh, they it's not like it's a surprise to the Lord. So we can look back and chuckle and see how Israel failed at this. Uh, but, you know, however, in principle, it seemed reasonable to them. So the next chapter being the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments, none of them are unreasonable at all. Not one of them is unreasonable. And if you look at them, you're like, yeah, how come how, how could we not follow that? <laughs> and it doesn't take long. We're like, oh, <laughs> right. And we realize if we're being honest with ourselves, right, uh, if we're being honest and we go, oh, yeah, there, I did that right there. I saw my neighbor's truck. And one day I'm like, look at my tribe. You guys see you know, like, I mean, I, I could easily look at a neighbor's truck and, and go, you know what, that uh, my truck has a duct tape window and I've got Mondo here and there. So my heart, my heart could easily go to, man, you know, I'm working at a college. I see kids driving around in $80,000 trucks. Now, I'm not joking. And I'm like, how do you, if we afford Obviously, their parents are affording that for them or they're already in debt up to their eyeballs. I don't know. But I could get to that point very easily, Right. It's it's so easy for us covetousness, especially in this country, and we'll talk about these here. But you know, none of them, none of the Ten Commandments are unreasonable at all. We're the unreasonable ones. Our sinful hearts are the are the unreasonable ones. Verse nine, and the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and and believe you forever." So Moses told the words of uh, of the words of the people to the Lord then the Lord said to Moses go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day for on the third day I will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people you shall set bounds for the people all around saying take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base or whatever touches the mountain, shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, nor shall, uh, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, then they come near. Uh, they uh, they shall come near the mountain. So God declared that He will visit. 
here. So he's still he's speaking to Moses, and God tells Moses that he's going to visit, and there'll, there'll be a thick cloud. Uh, we understand that the scripture says nobody nobody has seen God and lived, right? So God would shroud himself with a cloud. So uh, that he's coming in that cloud that he may speak, and the people will hear and believe what Moses says. So uh, they the people would... Uh, follow Moses, and they would be obedient to a point, right? And then as soon as things got tough, they'd be screaming at Moses, and they're after him, and he's like, these guys are going to kill me. And so so God is just explaining to Moses, this is going to get their attention, and it's also going to benefit you, Moses. So uh, the Lord tells Moses to inform the people and instructs them uh, how to prepare. And he, he tells them that they need to consecrate themselves, and uh, which means they need to prepare and dedicate themselves, set themselves apart for a special event or time. That's uh, essentially when we boil it down, that's what the Lord is talking to uh, him about. And to wash their clothes, to, to prepare for a, you know this a, a big event, that cleanliness. You know, we typically will wear something nice uh, when we go to an event, most of us, right? Uh, I had a buddy of mine in high school uh, that um, whenever I think of this, uh, no matter what was happening, that guy every day, it could be January and just brutally cold, boat shoes, shorts, Troy Aikman Cowboys uh, uh, jersey or whatever shirt he's going to have on and a Cowboys hat. And I'm convinced he would wear that anywhere. Boat shoes and shorts. And he, it didn't matter when. You know, he had his you know, shorts, his socks on and everything. But that's how he dressed. He was never – when he did dress up, I saw the pictures for his wedding. I think I was – um, I was gone uh, for his his wedding and stuff, but white suit and he looked good, right? But so there was a it's a special occasion for him, right? That he would he would dress this way, and then you know of course he learned that he couldn't do that for his wedding, so he had to get dressed up, and he looked cool. He had a whole white tux on, and it was pretty cool. Uh, but you know when the, so we consider. For us, when something big is going to happen, we're going to dress up. There'd be that. Uh, it's a special occasion here. And the Lord said on the third day that he would come down in the sight of the people. Um, we know that there's something special about the third day, right? That the Lord was coming down to visit them there. We know that the third day uh, the Lord rose from the dead. Uh, so there's uh, just a, a neat snippet there for us to consider about the third day. The Lord sets boundaries and tells them not to go up or touch the mountain. And if they did, then death would result. Uh, and uh, the death would be stoning or shot with an arrow that no one would touch them. And uh, there's a, this is serious business, and they would be uh, killed from a distance, man or beast, it says. And sin can't be in the presence of God's holiness. And God is separating. You are sinful and need to be there. I am holy and I am here. Uh, there's, so there's the difference there. And the Lord said, when they were given the signal of the, the long trumpet blast, they could come near. So God is setting the stage. He's told Moses what he needs to tell the people so that they'll be prepared with the warning. Hey, seriously, don't go past this line, right? <clears throat> Ever touched a, uh, uh, an electric fence? You won't want to do it a bunch of times, right? It snaps you, right? It hurts, right? You think of how strong the... Um, Alan, we had uh, uh, he, there was a birthday party at, at his his house uh, probably over a month ago or so, and uh, we were invited to it. Uh, and we were there, and uh, somebody getting close to the fence. He's like, I think it was Natalie uh, getting close. He's like, make sure you don't touch that. <laughs> yeah, he's got these big Belgian draft horses. They're massive, right? And uh, but they are frightened to death of that little you know zip like that. They it, it'll it'll zap you, right? There's there's a boundary there. Right. They didn't have electric lights. Right? They're going to have electricity that they're going to see in the lightning and, and all those things there. But there's a special boundary uh, that's there that, that God wants them to be sure to uh, to heed. Verse 14 says, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So Moses told the congregation all these instructions uh, that came from the Lord, uh, the sanctification, the consecration that needed to happen to be set apart for this special event. And uh, that they uh, understanding that this was uh, when you consider the, the sanctification that was being talked about and the consecration uh, that setting apart that's that's happening here was that they would be reserved for God's purposes. And, and, and not for everyday use. So that's the 
when we consider what God is, God's kind of setting an example here. Like there, there's something special happening here that's not going to be like an everyday event for you. Okay, you need to wash yourselves up. Moses tells the men, don't go uh, have any intimate uh, relations with your wife. Uh, those are, are things, that, and, and not that that's wrong. They were to, to wash their clothes and, and, and be clean. So they were told to abstain from that. And it's not a sinful desire to be there, but the, to exercise the restraint in the circumstance. So in this circumstance, you're not to, uh, to go do that, not to partake in that. Uh, but to be uh, set apart, spe uh, especially for this specific event, uh, in your mind and in your body, that you would be prepared for this and that they uh, would be, uh, this, you know, if you consider, uh, you know, when uh, when fasting takes place, whenever uh, any of us have ever fasted, what we're doing is we're trying to get our mindset into a spot where uh, we're, it's a special thing, right? Uh, it's not us earning God's approval. It's not like God's going to look, oh, hey, you haven't eaten all day, huh? Oh, I guess I'll listen to you now. No, it. What it's it's designed to do is 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 for it's. There's several different ways uh, things for us to to you know. Fasting is very healthy for us, not only physically, but move the physical. Uh, but we gain control over our flesh. By doing that, by denying our flesh, right? But it also, when we do get hungry, it's a reminder for us to be in prayer. Why are we fasting? What are we fasting? What is it that we wanted our minds to be completely focused on so that we aren't distracted by anything else and that we say, I'm hungry, I want to eat? Yeah. Well, you've decided today this meal, whatever it is, whether it's food, whether you're fasting from whatever it might be. It might be from TV. It might be from uh, several different things. But when we understand you know, to make our flesh suffer, right, because the suffering of our flesh means uh, that we're, we're gaining control over it and that we're, we're disciplined, gaining uh, we're uh, disciplining our body. I, I don't want to make that sound wrong. Uh, we're not a physical discipline, but uh, the, the discipline of mind. That we say we're not. I'm not doing this. You know, you're 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 going to. Uh, you're, I'm not going to feed my flesh. So if you want to look at it as as uh, that type of thing, where you're setting yourself apart so that you can solely focus on something big that's coming up, uh, if that helps for uh, what's being uh, presented here to Israel. Verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trem uh, trembled. It came to pass on the third day, it says. Uh, so God declares, and God brings it to fruition. God said it was going to happen on the third day, and it does. He's, he's done this repeatedly. We've been studying through this as a church together, uh, and everything that God says uh, when he makes a promise, he fulfills his promises. So we can trust in him. And, uh, and that's something uh, that as we look at the scriptures, that there's the promises that Jesus made uh, that, you know, this world or, or, or mockers, scoffers may come into our lives and try to convince us that God is not real, that uh, we don't have sin. That's the that's a really popular argument um, that, oh, well, do sin really exist? No, somebody invented that. So you'd feel bad and that they can gain control and every there's some weird stuff out there that's prominent. That's 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 uh, you know, getting out there more and more. Uh, just be aware of it. You know that that some will say that sin doesn't even exist because if they sin exists, they say if they acknowledge sin exists, who does it exist against? So it's just just like, uh, uh, you know, Darwinism. Right. And just like I should say evolution. Darwin. Darwin was a uh, completely racist man. Uh, and uh, and when you consider the things that he had to say, uh, there, there's a lot there. So it's, it's funny how some people will dig their heels in on something like that and be like, oh, so you want to follow the, you know, the writings of a racist over uh, the, the writings of a, a loving God that, that preserved the word and, and gave it to us and teaches us about who he is. Uh, you know, God can be trusted. He fulfills his promises. So what we see uh, happening here is a mighty display of God's power. Thunder, lightnings, a thick cloud, a loud trumpet from heaven. Now, uh, consider. You guys, I, I don't know about you. I love watching lightning storms. They're amazing, right? 
uh, and the thunder. I had one dog that during a thunderstorm, he's in he's in the bathroom. I don't know if I already shared this. I'm sorry, but uh, he's in the bathroom shaking, and I could not get him to settle down for like 15 minutes after the storm. He's still shaking, and you know we go in and try to you know, settle him down. This dog that we have now, he's just like, what's that? He doesn't even know that whatever. So you know when it when it thunders, I try to oh, hear that and get him all excited, and then you know he it's a total opposite. You consider what they're experiencing here as they're uh, at the bottom uh, around the uh, the edges of Mount Sinai, and they're watching this morning. They're watching uh, this this cloud, and they're watching thunders. Uh, they're watching. Uh, you're not going to watch thunder. Watching all this lightning and, and hearing all this thunder, and and what they're witnessing here. This isn't like uh, this is a display of a mighty and awesome God. Uh, how is God often referred to uh, in our culture as, you know, hey, buddy, old pal, you know, I'm going to talk to the big man in the sky. You know, we're going to work something out here. Uh, none of them are sitting there thinking that, like, you know, as, as the kids and you know, everybody's kind of standing around. They're not like, oh, hey, that's just a big guy. You know, he's bowling up there. Right. You know, that's what my my parents used to tell me. You know, that's God bowling. Right. And, uh, you know, this is, this is, they're trembling. This is overwhelming. Uh, And what a mighty display of the power of God and uh, this awesome and frightening sight and sound. You know, the creator of all things, you know, just, just to, to think of what he's orchestrating in front of them. And it's showing them that he has control over all creation, that he's pulled all these things and he's doing these things uh, right in front of them. And there are many other things that you can kind of pull away that God might have been showing them there. But um, what we can see, uh, obviously, uh, were the, you know, all those, the lightning, the thunder and and, uh, the the trumpet. And, uh, and, And Moses, verse 17, brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. That's a that's quite a quite a verse to look at there. That Moses brought them out to meet with God, you know that they that they had uh, they had experienced a pillar of fire and smoke, all these things. This was in, this was a more intimate setting where they're sitting there and everything's going crazy right in front of them. And in the midst of that, Moses goes as their leader grabs him and says, "Guys, come with me. Let's go meet God." Verse eighteen. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Moses is 80 years old. (laughs) Think of this. He's going up and down this. It's a mountain. You know, and he's going up and down. So, uh, so what we see here is uh, they're standing around uh, the foot of the mountain, and and Mount Sinai gets completely enveloped in smoke uh, because the Lord had descended upon it, and it says that its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. You know, say goodbye to the ozone layer, right? <laughs> that might uh, that might uh, tick somebody off. You know, the environmental craziness uh, there that would come from that. And then it says the trumpet sounding long, uh, uh, that it was long and it was louder and louder. This is a trumpet from heaven, right? It doesn't say that Moses is there or anything. This is, this is a, a, a heavenly trumpet that's blowing. Uh, so God answers Moses. It says here by voice. Look at verse 19. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke. And even though everything's so loud, when Moses spoke, God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, it says. So God came down to meet Moses on God's terms, not on man's terms. God told Moses where to meet him, when and how. That's how God works. God doesn't meet us based on our uh, our terms. We're going to need that in our our, our uh, you know arsenal as we're sharing the gospel to understand, make people understand, well, we don't get to come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. Are those lights uh, dimmed out there? I'm just kind of looking at it. I'm, I'm like squinting at every. Ah, there we go. Now I can see you guys. All right. So um, I, I just sit here. I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going, wow, is it just dark outside? What's happening here? So um, and uh, so, so that we come to God on God's terms. 
how God, God determined, that's how we come to God. So God came down to meet man, and God calls man to meet him. And, and someday we'll be called up to him uh, in the clouds. That's going to be awesome, right? Uh, that, that the church would be raptured up and meet the Lord in the clouds. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. So here's Moses going back down again. Lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Away! <laughs> it's just that get, right? I've, uh, I've had to say that to my dog or, or whatever, but there's that away. He's, I told you to go, go. Uh, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people to speak with them. So God has called them up and uh, called him up. And he's spoken with them, and he wants them now to go down and speak to them. So it, it, there, there wasn't like Moses trying to get everybody's attention. This is the most powerful display they've ever seen in their lives, and their attention is locked on. So when Moses comes down, they're like, what's going on here, right? And uh, so they're, they're ready to hear from, uh, hear from him. And what God is, uh, when he gets down there, he says, hey, be prepared to listen. Because God's going to speak with you. Chapter 20, verse 10. We're getting into the Ten Commandments here. And verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words. So this is God speaking to the children of Israel. This, uh, so there, there will be the time that Moses will come down uh, with the tablets. This is God speaking to, to the people directly. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. So this first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. So God demonstrated his power over the false gods of Egypt. It was a lesson for Egypt and for Israel. So the first uh, the first. A commandment is that he is the Lord, uh, their God, and they should have no other gods before him. The second one, they shall have no other, no carved images to worship. Verse four says, uh, "You shall uh, not make for yourself a car itself, a carved image, uh, any uh, likenesses of." Uh, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. That's very important when you read that line, of those who hate me. Okay, we're going to get into that here but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and to keep and keep my commandments. So the Lord says you shall not make for yourself any carved image or likenesses that you may bow down to them. That's what's being said there. Is it wrong for someone to make a sculpture or to paint something? No. To make an article for worship, okay? Now, just 40 days from now, they're going to do this. Okay? They're going to break this 40 to around 40 days from what just happened right here. They're going to break this. Is it wrong for somebody to make a sculpture? Absolutely not. Or to paint something or, or any of those things. What he's saying is do not create something to worship it. That's, it's, God's glory is for him. And uh, when, when he says that we shouldn't be making anything uh, to, to worship, we shouldn't be fabricating things to worship them, think of what they had just witnessed in Egypt, right? They had all these false gods, and they've got these statues of weirdness and, you know, frogmen and all that stuff. And he's saying, you, what you've witnessed, what you've gone through, you're not so, you're supposed to uh, get into that same practice, there. So there shouldn't be things that are made uh, because if that was the case, we could never have like a necklace on, right? Because, oh, oh, well, that's a fabricated thing. We shouldn't, there shouldn't be things made that would be articles of worship. There shouldn't be anything like you ever, you ever looked at like this, uh, you know, a statue of a, of an eagle or something. Okay. So that's cool. 
you know, or, or anything like that. Some, when it becomes an article of worship, I'm going to make this that I might worship it. That's the problem. That's when the problem comes in. But for, to tell somebody who's an artist or a sculptor, like you could never make anything, uh, that'd be awful. So the Lord is, uh, is uh, making sure that they understand you should not be making things. And, uh, and like I said, uh, not long after this, uh, they, they go about and, and do that. Now, the, uh, when, you, when you look at uh, what's being said here where it says um, in verse 5, it says, uh, You shall not bow down, uh, to, uh, bow down to them nor serve them, for I, uh, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. That's a, a weird doctrine that has come into the church that God will visit those sins that a father commits on their son, their grandson, and grandchildren, and all those things. Um, if you consider Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God isn't the, the author of confusion. God's not like saying, like, hey, I'm going to judge them, and then, oh, hey, by the way, I'm not going to... I was just kidding when I said that in Exodus, and then when I get to uh, Ezekiel, I'm, I'm saying something different. No, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are because if you consider this, uh, and there have been massive church splits, there have been uh, people's faith totally destroyed by this. Them saying that, well, because your father was an alcoholic, or your father was this or that, and uh, and and he beat you, or or all those things, then there's really no hope. You know, because your dad was a bank robber, there's no hope for any of you. That's that's foolishness. That's ridiculous. You know, what does the Bible do? It calls sinners to repentance. That's not, I mean, how cruel would it be for God to do that and be like, no, nope, you can't come. Your grandfather sinned. You know, like that doesn't wait. But you look at, at the, the culture within a family, and if that culture is hatred toward God, then the next generation is going, will, will easily uh, just, adopt the same not that it couldn't change and the cycle couldn't change but it says of those who hate me those who hate me so please don't misunderstand this to say that oh hey if somebody sinned then there's no hope for anybody i mean the great grandkids are even in trouble that's not the case at all it's of those who hate me and look at god what he says but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and to keep my and keep my commandments Verse uh, 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So uh, the third of the Ten Commandments, and these aren't suggestions, these are commandments. Uh, so if you have any discussion about that, these are commandments from God. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, now, uh, oftentimes many will say, oh, this is when we use it, when we hopefully not uh, when God's use a name is used as a swear word, you know, where someone will use God's name uh, as as profanity. Um, no, God's name shouldn't be used as profanity. Uh, when when the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, Jesus said in this manner, therefore, you shall pray right in the model prayer. Our father uh, in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, that God's name is holy, that it should be hallowed. Psalm 111, verse 9. Uh, he who is, uh, he, uh, sorry, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So God's name is special. And his name should not be taken in vain. Uh, it should be revered and properly represented. Absolutely. <clears throat> There's the, the larger implication here is, uh, that those who associate with him must not misrepresent him by deliberately and, and continually disobeying his commands and causing his name to be blasphemed. Uh, that, that we were taking on the name of Christ in our life, and then after we've you know, taken on that name, proclaiming to be Christian, to proclaiming to be a follower of Christ, when everything that we do and say continuously, uh, are we going to fail? Hopefully not, but there may be times where we misrepresent the Lord. And we say, you know what? I did fail you at that time. I know I said I didn't do that, and I did, and I lied to you, and I'm sorry. 
You know, those it shouldn't be taken lightly. You know, that's it's sin is what it is. It's wrong. It's wrong for us to misrepresent God. When it the, the you know that that horrible thing where someone would say, "I thought you were a Christian," and this happened. You know, like oh. You know, and then you say, you know what, you're absolutely right. I shouldn't have, you know, said something or done whatever it might be and say that is sin. The Bible tells us that's sin. I was I was disobedient to God's word. I'm sorry. I sinned against you. Uh, that is not in the character of Christ. And I miss that, that that we would consider it that way instead of just trying to brush it off. This is a big deal. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, if you consider uh, many, uh, I'll, I'll put them in air quotes, pastors, preachers, use the name of Christ to, to take advantage of people. Using the name of God so that they may gain uh, personal. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain because they don't, they don't accurately rep represent the Lord. They're using God's name uh, for, for a sinful gain. Isaiah 29, 13, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but, they have, re but have removed their hearts far from me, and they, their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. You know, that, that someone would say that they're following God, but they're honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. If, if we're saying, yes, you know, I, I, I am a, a Christian and I'm walking with the Lord, but there's nothing in our lives that, that backs that up, that's, a, that's not a good place to be, right? Matthew 7, verse uh, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and uh, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In your name. Notice he says, in your name. In your Didn't we do these things in your name? Jesus saying, I never knew you. You proclaimed me. You, know, you, you, you would profess me with your lips, but your heart was far from me. And Jesus is saying right here, I never knew you. That's a scary verse to look at. That should be sobering for us. You know, are our hearts completely surrendered to God? Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Are we going to sin? Yes, unfortunately, because we're sinners. And God cleanses us, and, and he builds us, and he, he strengthens us as we walk, and hopefully we're not habitually walking in sin, right? That's, that, that's a bad spot to be. But when this is saying here that we that that somebody can be at the spot of honoring God with their lips and their heart is far from him, that they don't know him, that, that even that they would be doing mighty works and proclaiming his name and, and sharing the gospel in his name, but they never knew him. I mean, wow. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's something for us to consider uh, in our lives. You know, it, do I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because that's coming right up. Do I love it? The fourth commandment coming up here, remembering the Sabbath. Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant nor your cattle, nor your stranger uh, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Uh, now all the other nine uh, New Test, uh, all the other nine commandments are, are, are reiterated or, or um, uh, shown uh, to be continued in the uh, the New Testament, but the church meets on Sunday now. You know that they're, they honored uh, Israel would uh, honor the Sabbath on Saturday. Um, when you consider, uh, yes, we should we should have a day of rest. We need a day of rest. Uh, we work hard, and uh, that even Sunday, I can tell you that uh, some I'm exhausted on Sundays uh, because we you know we have our two services here and everything. But it, it, it is still a special day 
uh, to me set apart to being here and being uh, amongst brothers and sisters, uh, that I'm, I'm not home uh, having to do the normal work of every day and those, those things. So when you consider here uh, the, the Sabbath uh, being presented here, they were told that they were supposed to, as, now it wasn't like God was tired after creating the earth in six days. He's all powerful. He's not short on power. But it was, it's, it's showing us that there is need for us to have rest in our lives. We need to have rest. You know, our bodies need to rest. Our household needs to rest. And take that day to be able to set it apart. Um, we don't. Uh, there, there are. Um, uh, well, I'll just. It's, it's a cult uh, that that says that uh, you have to worship on Saturday or you're not saved. You know, when you consider the Seventh Day Adventists telling us that we're not saved if we if we uh, come uh, to church on Sunday. What did, what day was it? The Lord's Day, right? They they celebrated the resurrection and they would get together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ that the church would gather on that day. So if anybody tells you, because you don't come to church on Saturday, um, you know, you're not really a Christian, you're not really saved, uh, you can uh, just let them know, well, let's look at the New Testament church. When did they get together? Verse uh, 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be, may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, it's the first commandment with a promise. Second uh, Timothy when uh, Paul is describing uh, the last days in chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 5, it says, But know this, in the last day perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, un uh, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And such, from such people turn away, the disobedient to parents. Right? I know I read all those. It's just because it's fun uh, and good stuff for us to read, right? Uh, but where it says disobedient to parents, you know, what does it say? The first one, the first command with a promise that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. There was a promise there. Don't disrespect your parents. You know, the scripture even says, um, I'm failing to remember exactly where it is, uh, but that if a man were to strike his father, he should lose his life. You know, punching his father in the face. That's quite a quite a statement. <laughs> I know some people who had it right out with their parents. They'd be out, <laughs> right? Honor your father and your mother. I realize uh, that might not be the easiest thing to do. You know, where where there's a crossroads with whether I obey God or man, okay, then you obey God. But we are called to honor our father and our mother. You shall not murder. I mean, many of us can go, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that one. I won't, I won't kill anybody. I'm good. But what did Jesus say, right? Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22 say, You have heard it said that it was, uh, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be uh, in shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire, right? Uh, you, you shouldn't, uh, you know, that the murder uh, can exist within our hearts, right? So we, we need to be careful of where our hearts are going. We may not be the one that you uh, are thinking where it says you not, shall not murder, uh, but uh, just understand that can reside right in our hearts. The same with uh, adultery. In uh, chapter, uh, sorry, in, in verse uh, uh, 14. Did I already read verse 14? Did I not? Yo, you, you, this is it. You should not commit adultery. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for it to be longer, but then I'm realizing in the, in the, in the Bible, it's just laid out there. Uh, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, another one. That, that Considering adultery, look what happens just within the church just within the church and within America, how prevalent adultery is, 
the act of adultery, that somebody would have sexual relations with somebody that's uh, someone other than uh, their their spouse, right? As as uh, God intended that to be uh, confined to a husband uh, and his wife, a man and a, a woman, and uh, that's the the. Um, the act of adulteries, if someone breaks that and has that uh, special uh, time and that special connection with anybody else other than their spouse. Now, uh, look what Jesus had to say about it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You have said that it was, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. With her in his heart, if you, your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. Adultery is a condition of the heart. Adultery happens in the heart. Jesus is, is, is setting that right there. You, you've heard it said uh, that it was said to those of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at somebody lusting in their heart has already committed adultery. Man, remember Israel saying, yeah, whatever God says, we will do. Really? <laughs> really, right? Hopefully they didn't say that with a whole bunch of pride. But Verse uh, 8, uh, sorry, verse 15 the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Proverbs 6, verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> people, do not dis uh, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have, uh, to, he may have to give up all the substance of his house. You know, when it's speaking of uh, a thief. You know, people will often have um, uh, compassion if somebody realizes that guy just needed some bread. Uh, but there's still it needed to be paid for. It wasn't like, oh, you were hungry, so yeah, you could just steal this, right? It had to be returned sevenfold. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. That's awesome. That that person would go from thief to provider. That God would use that person. Let's read it again. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is it, who has need. You know what? I remember being in those shoes. I'm going to work. I'm going to provide it. Hey, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Come on. I know. I've, I've heard you're doing that. No, I'm, let me help you out. Let's go get you some groceries. Or those. That's that's so awesome to go from thief to provider. God is so good. Proverbs ten verse two: Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse sixteen: You shall bear. Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, uh, Deuteronomy chapter nineteen verses. 15 through 19 say this one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established if a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing then both men in the controversy shall stand before the lord before the priests and the judges who serve in those days and the judges shall make careful inquiry and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to do uh, to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Shall not bear false witness against a neighbor. You shouldn't be uh, saying that something happened that didn't. Uh, so God is setting that straight. And he's setting it straight for a reason. Uh, remember, these guys are getting these commandments as they're coming out of bondage, that this is the way they're supposed to live their lives. So this is the fifth of the commandments, the sixth commandments that God gave between man, uh, between man and, and uh, you know, fellow man. Uh, so that, that fifth one would be don't bear false witness against each other. Ver, uh, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. 
nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Proverbs 15, verse 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. It's better to have little than to have a lot. You know, it's easy to look at somebody and covet what they have. And instead of, you know, when, when there's that godliness with contentment is great gain, that mindset, uh, better, to, better uh, is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs 5, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Drink water from your own well. That's what that's what Solomon's saying in there. Don't look at somebody else's thing and desire that. You've got your own well. You've got your own thing to enjoy. Don't go desiring everybody else's. Covetousness is ungratefulness and a discontentment for what we do have. That's, that's the, at its root what it is, selfishness. That we would not be um, uh, thankful for what we what we do have. That that covetousness there. I know that I started before six thirty, and now it is seven thirty. So I'm going to stop here, and and we'll continue this. So um, and, and we'll just pick up and we'll finish this off. So you know the people are are here and and they're afraid, and there's some uh, some other things that we're going to get into. But I realize I've also I've already gone over an hour, and then I'd be actually going over an hour and over time. So I don't want to uh, stretch you out too much. So uh, we'll pick up in verse eighteen as we continue. I hate to stop there. Um, but we, um, uh, that's the, that's the good thing is you can go home and read the rest of it and then we can just study the rest of it later. Um, and, uh, and we'll pick up, uh, from there and because what ends up happening here is there's great fear and Moses has to calm them down, but essentially God has called them and he's brought them to the foot of, of the mountain. And, uh, God has, uh, while they're there, God has given them the 10 commandments, and when they, uh, and when Moses says, "Hey, I'm going to talk to you about some things about God," and they're like, "Yeah, cool, those sound great. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll do that. Everything that you say, we will do." Uh, and then the Ten Commandments are are given. They seem very easy to read. They're not unreasonable, as we talked about earlier. They can be summed up in the first four have to do with God's relation, man's relationship with God, right? And the last six between uh, man and uh, man's relationship with man, right? Woman with, uh, with woman. And Jesus summed it all up, didn't he? And he said that the whole law can be summed up in this. And I will share this verse with you and they probably shut things down, but Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. They were presented all of these things. After these things, what we're going to get into next week is they're freaked out. <laughs> and Moses has got to calm them down. And uh, they're, they're going to hear uh, some reminders of what they just heard, and, and then we move on from there. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we uh, have a God that loves us, that you understand us so well, and that you don't cast us off, that you are so gracious and merciful to forgive us. Lord, when we see these Ten Commandments, that they are very reasonable. They're not, they're, but they show us, you know, when we can look at them uh, and, and we understand them fully of our need for a Savior because we fall short. We thank you, Lord, that we have that Savior that you saw the need and you met the need for us, that we can place our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of our sin that we could not uphold our end of the bargain, that our sins have been washed away, and uh, that we stand righteous in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me, in Jesus Christ. So we thank you, we love you, and we pray that you would bless us, protect us, and keep us until we get together again. In Jesus' name, amen.